In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Epistle and Gospel for this morning both comment on the place of the heart in the Christian life. In the Scriptures, the heart is something other than how we commonly think of it. It is not merely the organ that circulates our blood. Neither is it more romantically the seat of our emotions. We get a bit closer in thinking of it as where to locate the will, but that still isn't quite relational enough. I recently read a description by a spiritual writer named John Andrew Bryant, who succinctly captured a scriptural understanding of the heart. Quote, the heart is not a thought or feeling, but our capacity to hand over ourselves to what is trusted. We cannot see or even really feel this heart, but it is this heart that consecrates everything we can see or feel. The heart is about what is given and what is taken. The heart is about what is offered and what is withheld. The heart is about what is trusted, what is depended on. The heart in the scriptures is the inmost point of us, the place where the gift of life from God is continually bestowed and where it must be received the place as well where the offering of ourselves to him is awaited, and the place where we must first offer it. The life of the heart informs all that we are and everything that we do. Like the wellspring to a river, a heart affects all that is downstream from it. Everything about us depends on life given and life received, life offered, and thus life blessed. Our hearts are where we receive God's life as he wills to give it, and not as we would have it. It is the point from which we continue to exist and draw our being. Sometimes, though, we can attempt to receive that gift of life in some other way than as it is given. This refusal of life as it is, drives us away in the end from life itself. Like Adam and Eve, who were driven away from the Garden of Eden after taking what was not given as a gift, we can become exiled from our hearts. There, we try to make a new heart for ourselves, shielded and distracted from that real place of life given. This is what the scriptures call a hardened heart. The hardened heart attempts to do what the living heart, the heart of flesh, alone can do. The hardened heart, though, cannot replicate life. With every attempt, it produces false life, or half-life, or death for itself, and everything that depends on it. Our hearts are where the offering of our life is awaited by God and where we must offer it before anywhere else. But as we can refuse the gift of life, so we can refuse the offering of life, attempting to hoard the life we have already received, even while withholding and asking and trying to create more for ourselves. 
we become in this way like the dragons of old fairy tales, obsessed with guarding what is ours, and so failing to enjoy life for ourselves or bestowing it as a joy upon others. Our life is given so that it may be offered and thus consecrated to become a blessing. This is the condition alone in which we may enjoy life to the fullest. Our hearts, in the end, are made to be Eucharistic, and the heart languishes when it is anything less. In the Mass, we perform liturgically the motions that can and should become the character of our hearts. What we do outwardly in offering ourselves before, before the altar in soul and body must become our inmost way of experiencing life. It must be the shape of life. A heart that has been made fully alive cannot help but become Eucharistic in all that it does. This Eucharistic heart of the Christian, though, must also become evident in our relationships with one another. These fundamental actions of giving, receiving, and offering shape the life we are called to live together in Christ. Our hearts are not given to us solely for our own benefit. This gift is fully realized only as it continually manifests through our love for our brethren in the church and to our neighbors beyond it. As Christians, we are given the ability to bear one another in our Eucharistic hearts. As our fellow Christians are one with Christ, and as Christ dwells in our heart by faith, so our brethren dwell in our hearts there too. As St. Paul writes to the Philippians this morning, I hold you in my heart, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, as you all share with me in grace. For St. Paul, this is not a mere sentimentality. It's a reflection of an objective reality. He carries the Philippians affectionately and entrusts them confidently to God's goodwill, even though he is imprisoned and is unable to be with them. St. Paul offers them to God through prayer from the heart, with the hope that they will continue to grow in blessing. And Paul is able to give thanks in turn and to experience blessing with them, despite his outward circumstances. Despite his chains, the motions of his heart are still intact. They are still free. His heart is fully alive. Our gospel lesson, however, focuses on a very common struggle to do this work of the heart for one another. Specifically, the Lord's parable reveals the tragedy of a person who refuses to forgive from the heart. The story revolves around a servant who confesses a debt he cannot pay and yet is met with compassion. Yet when that servant receives a similar confession from a fellow servant, he refuses to show him compassion in turn. The imagery of the parable exposes this unforgiveness 
as an attempt to hold another person in perpetual imprisonment, which ends up ironically resulting in a self-imprisonment without end. Fractured relationships and relational debts among our fellow Christians are a normal part of the Christian life. They are a normal trial of our hearts. While it is a consolation and a joy to carry those we bear with kind affection, it can be a very painful struggle to offer in our prayer those who have wounded us. Forgiveness, though, is precisely this, to entrust the outcome of these ruptured relationships to God in prayer, while living out as much as we can the fact of our familial bonds in Christ. This is the testing of Eucharist in our hearts. Will we bear all things up in our prayer, or only just some things? The gift of life knows both consolations and desolations. Both must be received, and both must be offered. Both are the ways that we are saved. But just as we cannot constrain the gift of life to only those parts of it we prefer, so we cannot restrict our charity to others out of a partiality to those we happen to like in that season. The life of gift and blessing between us and God is continuous with the intercession and forgiveness we know with others. The work of forgiveness cannot be divided we either participate in all of it or in none of it. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's important to clarify that forgiveness from the heart does not imply an unbounded relationship with someone. Such an approach would not be an act of charity as it would disregard the weight of that person's decisions and their capacity to affect others. It would, in short, make them less real. There are real reasons why we might find ourselves in an impaired relationship with another person. However, what truly matters is whether we perceive these impairments to relationship as temporary or permanent, as tenuous, and bound to be resolved, or as things just being the way they are. We much hangs in the balance on whether we remain complacent in them, or even resistant to the healing of those relationships. We can recognize the need for certain limitations in a specific relationship, while still extending forgiveness from the heart. On the other hand, we cannot truly forgive from the heart if, like the unworthy servant in the parable, we try to cast them into darkness, walk away, and then forget about them forever. We should also remain vigilant because the process of forgiveness may require of us to step outside our comfort zone, may require us to move forward in trust before we feel fully ready. Sometimes we might be called to reconcile with someone who has hurt us, even before we fully feel prepared to do so. If we only forgive when we are entirely comfortable 
after all, we likely will never get there. And the consequences of that refusal, as we learned this morning, can be substantial. Much of the formation of our hearts takes place from the outside in. We're led into having Eucharistic hearts before God by participating in the sacraments of the church, but also by navigating the joys and sorrows of life, in, life together in community. To accept those whom God sends to us as they are, and not as we wish them to be, and to offer them to God in our prayers is how we receive the gift of life from God in the heart, and then begin to understand the offering of life from the heart, which means we then, in that moment, understand the beginnings of eternal life. To reject that gift as it is given, in both happiness and sorrow, is to reject life in favor of a fantasy. And a fantasy, in the end, cannot give us life. Similarly, to withhold the life that we have received, be it in our joys or sorrows, is to deviate from our life's true purpose, to become the place where blessing is truly experienced and from which that blessing flows. This morning, whether we are enduring the joyful burdens of love for one another, or whether we are facing the painful trials of forgiveness for one another, both can lead us to a deeper understanding of the gift of life and become the way that we receive new life this morning in Christ. I do not take for granted, though, how difficult it can be to do this. Even so, as St. Paul prayed for those that he carried in his heart, even so, I pray for all of you who I carry in my heart. That your love may abound even more in knowledge and discernment. That you may choose what is excellent and be sincere without offense until the day of Christ filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.